0: karate the garage i'm Corey Cope. i'm freddie waff we are ending our dark castle month and uh and we promise there's no extra one next week i don't even know what are we doing next week we haven't even talked about it don't yet. know anyway anyway we're, we'll grab, get to that later bag. <laughs> we'll figure it out between now and then we're gonna throw
1: we're gonna throw titles into a hat and pull them out and that's what that's where that's how we're gonna pick next <laughs> that's, month That's
0: the only theme it's the it's the hat theme what, what does the hat say to watch
1: the magic hat it's like lidsville
0: gotta love that those old drugging like Harry sit- Potter
1: <laughs> sorting <laughs> hat <laughs> oh, is that shit. a thing
0: from Harry Potter uh yes we get to go yeah okay yeah. well there you go yeah see that's the worst part about Harry Potter man they have some like some magical hat decide the clicks sure you know <laughs> dude high school school is tough as it is You know, without a fucking hat telling you which fucking click to be in. Right. Junior high, man. Right. Junior high is when the clicks start. This is like pre junior high. There's like real no age with Harry. Potter. maybe there is an age with Harry Potter. Maybe it is junior high. They start. Fuck. I don't know. I don't remember. Who knows? But the point is, is that, you know, you're already going to get clicky, but now you're getting forced clicks. That's up. And speaking of forced clicks. (laughs) So number five. Out of Dark Castles catalog because we skipped one. We skipped Gothica mostly because, well, this one was probably the, their, their biggest movie to date. Ironically, it's full of, <laughs> it's full of TV people. Right. We have house of wax from 2005 house of wax, house of wax. Where do they get
1: that title? Oh wait, it's a, it's another, uh, it's another title only remake. <laughs>
0: Yeah, there's less premise than, than Haunted Hill and 13 Ghosts. Than, and, and that was already pretty thin as it was. Anorexic. The ending to this movie is pulled right out of the Vincent Price movie. Yeah, totally. And the ending is really well done. And
1: you only have to wait an hour and 45 minutes to get it.
0: It's a long movie. It's a long movie. <laughs> It, what's interesting about the movie as a whole is, and everybody was waiting for this, because like I mentioned, it's it's chock full of TV people. Leisha Cuthbert, who was big in 24, but had just a couple of years before that, broke in and kind of was uh, the it girl at the time with The Girl Next Door, which was a pretty, pretty successful comedy, and she was wonderful in it. and she's, She was enjoyable in 24 for the most part, but she's, she's the draw of this one as far as the face. Come
1: on, dude. The draw for this movie is Paris Hilton. I know it's I'm building biggest, up to it. Damn it. I'm building up to it.
0: Stunt casting. You need to let me build up to it. Damn it.
1: All right. Then cut this out and we'll go back.
0: <laughs> no, leave it the way it is. Also along for the ride is Chad, Michael Murray, who had just started his career as as far as recognition. He did Fear, uh, freaky Friday just before a couple years before this. And then of course he started one tree Hill a couple years before this. And uh, so he was a CW again, more TV people. Jared Padalecki was months away from Supernatural starting its long, long run on what was the WB, then the CW, because it did kind of transcended the title change. Right. And of course, the one that put the people in the seats because they were so looking forward to seeing her killed, Paris Hilton.
1: I I, I, well, I remember the trailers man like every trailer literally I think the first thing you saw after the House of w- It was uh, was Paris Hilton spouting some line from the movie <laughs> I mean cuz I mean this was right at the you know the real life right was a giant thing right. at that point right her and right. Uh, Nicole Richie right and then, didn't you did you feel cheated after you watched the movie there wasn't enough Paris Hilton
0: <laughs> Um what are the things about Paris's part in this movie or her just just her involvement in the movie the constant references to her her sex tape was fucking rad <laughs> and hilarious absolutely Everything. i mean as soon as they went night vision on it i was like yep. wow <laughs> yeah they were just going for it but didn't, at one point, weren't they promoting that? You know, come see her get killed. And they weren't just oh. seeing her. They weren't even seeing yes. Paris Hilton. Just come see her get killed. Come see her get killed. Yeah. <laughs> oh I mean, I feel gosh.
1: like that, you know, people went out in droves, Leah, you know. It's funny because watching it now, her acting isn't, I mean, I remember people trashing her, but her acting isn't, Is you know, it's, it's, it's a non-factor. Like, she's not terrible, like yeah. watching it. Now it's like, you know, I think that a lot of the blowback was just like, it was Paris Hilton. And, you know, she was in a, She was most famous for being in a sex tape and then her, whatever. I mean, what is it now? It's been 16 years. <laughs> like yeah. she's just another, you know, it's just another, she's just another scream queen. You know, she's not a final girl. Scream no. queen. <laughs> and her, she, has, she has a pretty good death scene.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's not. And actually out of all the, it's, it's probably one of the better ones. Yeah, totally. Like they did, they did go, uh, they did get creative with it. The movie's rated R. Okay.
1: Yes. Um, Yes. With good reason. There's lots of gnarly shit in this movie. I mean, is there though? (laughs) Dude, the the best for me, my favorite thing is the fucking finger bit. Oh
0: yeah. But that's still, you're still can, can skirt the R rating with that. I think it's I think it's rated what it is because they're swearing because there's no nudity in it.
1: Right. I think it's I think it's the uh I well also I think at this point they were still throwing R ratings on horror films because they thought people they thought it brought people to the theater because nobody wanted to see PG-13. Nobody wanted to see nobody wanted to see this a pg-13 version of this movie even though they that's what they saw really that's what it thirteen. Kind of yeah but you know you're throwing paris hilton in there you're throwing in the the um dark castle of it all you're, you know you're throwing in that sort of resurgence of like wrong turn films like that from the early 2000s you know and you slap an r on it man and you know people come out and see it
0: yeah, the murderous hillbilly aspect of it is, again, one of the new spins that they put on. And I'm saying you were—you can't see me with my finger quotes around the word new. That was in vogue at that time. And like you're talking about with with well, everything. <laughs> everything oh, yeah. was coming out then. That was the go-to is to sandwich that in there. And not unlike the other three movies we've covered this month, we found ourselves with a bunch of new metal shoved in there <laughs> for some fucking reason right but at least it didn't close that way at least we had a good score closing the movie
1: right at least they waited <laughs> till the uh until the end credits to drop that on us right
0: I, I i love the score that they put on at the end when they had the little reveal after after, after the climax of the movie i th- i thought that part was clever but like you noted two consecutive movies in a row they went for the cliche driving off of the ambulance thing. I'm like, did you have to do that now? In fairness, they had gothica between the two movies, but yeah. um, Steven Wyndon is the DP on this and he does, he's done some pretty fucking top notch shit. I mean, you can say what you want about deep blue sea, but it looks good. Yeah. The Patriot looks good fire. You know, it's uh, he's worked with Justin Lynn quite a bit on from like from Tokyo drift and fast five and furious seven um, with, with James Wan, and, but all the way up, and he worked on the entire Fast series, including Fast 9. You say what you want about the Fast series. It always looks great. This movie l- doesn't look as good as it should. And I think you touched on it pre-Mike in that the tone of the movie as a whole had that green tint that we were seeing a lot from like 2004 because of The Matrix. And we were seeing it in a lot of things and I guess, to a lesser extent, it kind of works. I mean, the idea of it works, but I think the execution just isn't there, yeah. To me,
1: it doesn't seem like the fluorescent color like we're looking, you know, I mean, uh, but I don't know, man, it, it, this just seems like the wrong color green for me. I don't know. It, it and it's just there's a lot of stuff it's it's real murky, and I don't know if it was maybe the blu ray I was watching but I don't think so. It, it, there's, I feel like a lot of stuff that you'd be able to see just kind of gets washed out. I don't know the exterior stuff, the night stuff, the camping stuff, you know, it's all kind of hard to see.
0: Out of all the movies that like we noted that this one is the one that takes place the most outside. We're in a, we're on sets a lot less in this movie than the other three. The thing as a whole is like, does it take, does it doesn't take a long time for something to happen.
1: Yeah, it does. I mean, it's the buildup to getting to the town and finally sort of, you know, getting the ball rolling. There's a lot of weird pieces, like, you know, with the, oh, the fan bell doesn't work. I got to go get a fan. And then the other guys take off in the car and they're sitting in traffic somewhere. I mean, I can only, where are they sitting? Where they're at? The
0: traffic is so bad they can't get to the big game. You know what? It's funny. We talked before we got on mic how everybody is unlikable in the movie. Yeah, there's not anybody you root for, is my biggest problem. Good or bad. You're not rooting for anybody. And this was something that we talked about during Jaws, too, where you rooted for the kids that look like your best friends from when you were in elementary school. You're rooting for those friends from junior high. You're rooting for them because they look like you, they look like your friends. And then once you got to that point where they're hiring pretty people, then you became less and less concerned about their well-being and about what's going to happen to them. I want to see you get maimed. Like, and and I know with horror movies, it's always that thing. Like, I can't wait to see how how that person's killed. Hell, we pointed out, that's the whole point of their ad campaign for come see Paris Hill and get murdered. But as much as they set up House of Wax to have a really great villain, they really don't spend enough time with them or them, Yeah, you know? (laughs)
1: No, there's, there's too, you know, for me, there's there's too much back and forth at the beginning, right? It's yeah. just like, you know, they could have cut 15 minutes out of this movie and get them into the town, kill a few more of them there, right? Because they built that cool town. Yeah. Interesting kind of weird set piece. It looked like, it looked like a movie set. I mean, it looked, I mean, intentionally it looked like, wow, what, this is weird. Like when they go into the gas station and everything is like just kind of neatly placed there. Right. It looks like a movie ranch. And I thought it was odd too that the two didn't really think there, they didn't think much of it. Like this looks like fucking movies. <laughs> Where the right. fuck are we at?
0: Where is everybody? That's the irony is that everything was dressed like a set. Yeah. The, the gas station is dressed. The church is dressed. And they're so like matter of fact, like, oh, this looks all passe that they don't notice that everybody in the church isn't really moving. <laughs> right. it's it's like but it just shows you more and more like we're at the point that we're making you don't give a fuck you're you're actually you're meant to not care about these people and to exemplify the fact that they're all lame and selfish people even amongst the group who the fuck leaves them right (laughs) to go to a fucking game no you take them to go get the fucking part yeah you're not worried about, you're not going to have some stranger take your shit. You know what I mean? Especially not that guy. <laughs> the whole movie is set up for you not to care about anybody of his group.
1: Yeah. Like from the moment where the Chad Michael Murray throws the, you know, the whole introduction to the characters of the camping, they just all seem kind of unlikable. He throws the rock through the, and breaks the headlight and then they all stand there taking their turns, posturing. I, it's you know, it's, it's kind of hard to like any of them. And again, I would say the same thing is, you know, so sometimes in the best of uh, movies like this, you root for the bad guy, but I'm not even rooting for the bad guy in this movie. Yeah. So,
0: and John Abraham's also, he's like part of the group. He's the one person that I like the most about it. He's the only one who doesn't seem to be a complete dick, but there's a weird vibe. Okay. <laughs> we kind of talked about the Supreme Mike, Alicia Cuthbert and Chad, Michael Murray are apparently brother and sister. It's kind of. <laughs> are they like step brother and sister? It's a little nebulous, but dude, Chad Michael Murray is such an asshole in this. He's just, who, I mean, I've had some jerky friends in my teens and 20s, right? I never knew anybody that was such an asshole that would have just stood up and threw a a beer bottle at somebody's car like that. I don't know about you, but.
1: Oh, yeah, I grew up in fucking Visalia, (laughs) dude. Everybody there would throw a beer bottle at you. Yeah.
0: I'm almost positive that Chad, Michael Murray, who is just an, he's just, his character is super angry. I mean, he just, he doesn't even want to be on this trip. I don't know, man. I think he's got a thing for John Abraham's character because the only time you see him not brooding all the time and looking all pissed off is when he's talking to John. Maybe. And John, the whole time, maybe has something to do with the fact that John is shooting video the entire time. He's got his little video camera and he's shooting stuff, which comes into play later on when, you know, when he gets murdered. (laughs) And they take his camera and start using it. But anyway, the Alicia Cooper, Chad Michael Murray, brother sister story again. We Dude, just assume that that's what they are.
1: But I literally, until you and I talked about it, I thought that he was her ex. Until I until I asked you the question, were they brother and sister? I even the first time I saw this, fifteen years ago. In my head, because of the way that they react to one another, never thought they were brother and sister. I just thought they were like, like he was her ex, right? And he, that's why he was so surly and pissy, kind of jerky to her boyfriend, who he seemed who genuinely seems like the only nice guy, and they kill him. Well, you know, he gets off early on. I don't even know if there's really enough. The jury's out whether he was a nice guy or not, but he seemed. Like, maybe he was, but I, yeah. I, I thought that they were like, they were an ex-couple. And, you know, that's why he was like, I'm going to save her. I never made the connection because they certainly don't, they don't have any brother and sister chemistry.
0: Carly Jones and Nick Jones. And the only reason I know their brother and sister 100% is because I looked it up, but I wouldn't have known that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Reese mentioned it. Like, she was like, no, they're, they're brother and sister. And I'm like, are they? I don't think so. If that was the intention, it didn't come off like that to me.
0: There's something that happens, Mike, like I mentioned, Chad Michael Murray throws a beer bottle at this truck who pulls up and it just has their light flash in their face. And of course, I didn't understand the agroness and everything, why why he would be so shitty. I'm like going, you could be on somebody's property, man. And I'm sorry, from where they're at, I don't want to get shot full of rock salt, so what do you, do? <laughs> what are you doing right. throwing bottles at people? Um, But he breaks the headlight on the truck. Later on in the movie, when another truck pulls up, why didn't any of them think to look at the headlight? Yeah. And it's like, you think that this is the only truck that you're going to see or, or you, so many of these trucks are around. The the broken headlight comes into play later on. And when they reveal the killer or killers in this case. Killers killers.
1: Let me ask you a question. So were they supposed to be like Siamese twins that were connected by the face? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> say know, that. With the whole wax? Yeah, and there's even... There's some exposition I may have missed, uh, but uh, you know, it's obviously when you see the crib go against the wall and then she cut through it with the knife and with it the... cuts through the two faces you know, in the big ending.
0: The, the cleverest shot in the entire movie. Yes. I almost feel like the whole movie was built around that shot.
1: <laughs> Just the... Yeah, right? Like the whole movie was built around the, the, the house of wax melting yeah. at the end. It just took forever to get there.
0: And then, of course, when the brother loses his mask and, and I'm like, oh, man, what kind of shitty separation did they do? And why was one of the brothers like totally fine I and mean, he's all fucked up?
1: Yeah, right. That was my other question is like, what, well, what happened when they split the face? They just said, well, one of us is going to be good looking and one of us is going to look like Brian Holt, Ben Holt, and one of us isn't.
0: Yeah, I think it would have been made more sense if the other brother, the one that you see more in the movie without a mask on, that he would have had some kind of reveal, too, that he had a de- deformation. Yeah, like you a, know?
1: Some, some kind of scar or at least something going it,
0: on. Tell me that this doesn't, doesn't make sense is that if they would have showed his deformation before they even revealed the other brother.
1: Yeah, something. I mean, I, I, it, yeah, it's just weird. Like when you do get to that point where they, they do give you that shot of the knife cutting through the wax babies. And you're like, oh, shit. But like, he looks like a fucking diesel model. <laughs> like when he walks out of the church at the beginning and he's dressed all in black. and He looks like he just walked out of a diesel ad from
0: 2005. Right. What, what movie was he in the heat? He, looked, he was in the same outfit. Oh, it must have been Den of Thieves. That's what it was. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Den of Thieves is what it was. I think one of the troubles with this movie that I, that I have is the extreme unevenness of it. And like we mentioned, it takes forever for something to happen. And and I got a feeling you you minimize their time hanging out because usually those hangout moments, like with the fire when they're all making out around other people, again, I'm, it only happens in movies. I don't make out. I've never made it out in front of friends when we're in about camping. Nope. <laughs> But I think this is a moment you're supposed to find them likable or you're supposed to, you know, gain some kind of empathy because, you know, they're all going to get murdered. You're supposed to like start. This is this is the building of caring for them. And you don't give a fuck. Right. Well, yeah. Right.
1: Here's the thing. None of them look like they're having fun. No, they all look like whatever. So I don't know. I feel like they're a bunch of strangers. (laughs) Uh, You know, they're on a road trip together they don't care about each other. So why should I give a shit about them? It's kind of my
0: thought. Yeah. Tucker and Dale versus evil mock the opening of this movie so much, but they do in such a clever way. And if you've seen Tucker and Dale. You, it has a duality to it where you have two hillbillies that are just doing, going about their day and they're not killers. And then of course, all the college kids think that they're hillbilly murderers. And they, they kind of play in that whole opening when they're driving up the mountains and stop at the general store to get stuff. They kind of mock this opening quite a bit. To where you immediately, just like with this movie, don't care about the people that are going to get murdered. Yeah. Of course, Tucker and Dale, everybody's murdering themselves. They're not. <laughs> right. They all end up being accidental deaths. But that's what the difference between a movie like that and a movie like this movie like that knows what it is. A movie like this isn't sure. The The director we've, we've talked about on Mike um, <laughs> Wait, what did we say his name is again? I feel terrible. I don't, I don't want to be disrespectful. Yami Calasera? Yami Calasera, yeah. But here's the thing. I'm a massive fan of his work. I had no idea he was the director of this. Yo, I love
1: Orphan, dude.
0: Yeah, Orphan's love great. It. It's another dark castle movie that comes down the line. But boy. I- Shallows? Shallows is great. And speaking of every taken derivative that's come out over the years, his nonstop and the commuter are both really good. Like the commuter, I like quite a bit because of Vera Farmiga's in it. And she's, come on, dude, her playing a baddie, that's great. I like all of
1: those uh, post-taken, Liam Neeson uh, revenge picks.
0: Yep. And fortunately, because of the success of this movie, House of Wax, is why they went forward and let him direct Orphan. And I'm glad he did. And of course, we mentioned recently that they are doing a sequel and I'm excited by that. I don't think he's involved with the sequel though. Because he's too busy doing Jungle Cruise, which was supposed to be out last year, but now it's going to be coming out later this year. Disney's African Queen. And of course, Black Adam. So he's doing back-to-back movies with Dwayne Johnson. and But Black Adam, I hope, is as fun as Shazam was because it, that's... I think we're seeing with 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 that they're they're starting a whole new DCU away from the Snyder stuff because the Snyder stuff's over. Even though like I got to say, his his version of Justice League is far superior, in probably my second favorite movie of his, behind his Dawn of the Dead remake. Anyway, oh, but, I thought you
1: were gonna say Sucker Punch.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> we talked about that before. Snyder, his stuff is gorgeous. His production design is always just it's sugary, but it's enjoyable. But like I've said before with his work, turn down the sound, put some fun music on underneath it, and it's just one long music video. and It's fine. The thing is about Call It Sarah's work, he has a very unique voice. And I, I feel like what this movie suffers from is the same thing, you know, the speed bumps that we felt were prevalent in the other three movies he covered this month. There's too many cooks in the kitchen, too many, and maybe that's why we have a third producer on board. You have to think in this case, Gil Adler is out now. He he was out um after, after Ghost Ship. After Ghost Ship. And then um, the Susan Levin stepped in. You all know her as Mrs. Robert Downey Jr., but she is a, a working professional in her own right. And that's actually how they met. They met on Gothica. I'm pretty sure about that anyway. But she's like the main producer on it. She's the acting producer of this movie, just as Gil was on the other three movies. I feel like maybe not as much with this one as the other three, but I feel like there's too much involvement and maybe has something to do with them shooting in Australia. We both have heard about troubles when you have, when you're shooting that far away from everything. And and they, again, they kind of make jokes about that too. And thunder and tropic thunder about shooting abroad. And then the very Joel Silver, like Tom Cruise character, <laughs> Hitting people up via video video chat and letting them know what they feel about the movie that they're making. Knowing Call It Sarah's work after this, you have to think that the, that's what happened. You, his hands were tied most of the way. Because the stuff that works in the movie works well. And the stuff that doesn't, you can just, it feels like we talked about with Ghost Ship. We just feel like there's too much involvement. And how many times have we talked about those studio movies, right? Yeah. Where we have things aren't decided before principle starts and then you're fucked. This movie reported budget was 40 million and they go to Australia to shoot because it's supposed to be less expensive. (laughs) I kind of think they could have done this movie. It's TV people, right? They could have done this movie for 40 million and kept it stateside. You're not going to be able to find a small town like that in Georgia to shoot. But then again, at that point, we weren't really in Georgia yet, were we?
1: But I mean, I feel like they just found a nice piece of property. They they built that whole town. I mean, well, I yeah, think no, that's where the that. majority of the money went. Yeah, you know, it, I I could see why they went. You know, they were getting a giant tax break, and they probably had they probably had other things like you know, the Matrix sequels. You know, they they set up shop over there, so I could see why they probably shot it there. You know, that's a that's a, that was forty million dollars. You know, how much visual effects and you know practical builds. <laughs> you know, I don't know, man, forty million. All the visual effects are in the last 15 minutes of the movie, 10 minutes of the movie, really, as far as like the money shots, right? Right. When it all starts going to hell. So I don't know, man. It's weird. But I mean, I guess you go to Australia because you can
0: <laughs> at the end of the day. I don't know. It was the end thing to do then. Cause they shot this on the back lot, right? At at the Warner Brothers theme park. It was like a theme park slash movie set, not in like you know, Universal Studios. There was some drama behind this. And since we talk about the big fire at the end, there was a lawsuit that came at the end of this, this production. It, it was interesting. I thought that the movie came out in May of 2005. Then January 2006, Warner Brothers Movie World in Australia, where they shot on the back lot, they sued the special effects guy, David Fletcher, for the fire that was on set during production. I've never seen what the what the reasoning was behind it. Um, they're saying that other than it was negligence because they didn't have any firefighters on standby. Whoever does a fire gag and not have emergency crews on, this? I've never heard of such a thing. It doesn't happen here, that's for sure. I yeah, mean, if
1: you're shooting at any of these exterior ranches, no matter what you're doing, you know there's always a FSO on set.
0: So the lawsuit ended up being what it was is because the fire burned out of control for a short amount of time. But it actually uh, affected and had they had to demo some of the surrounding sets because they had other projects they were building for, and then they, <laughs> the fire caused problems. I just thought that was interesting. Cause they, and I should point out too, it's it wasn't the production company, it wasn't the and it wasn't Warner Brothers Studios. It was actually the, the theme park itself that and the studio itself that it wasn't Warner Brothers Studio. It was Village Roadshow Studios because they owned the uh, management company that manages the theme park. Anyways, just a weird, the movie had enough <laughs> going on for it, but I, I was curious. I mean, it's the only fire you see in the movie. So it had to been from that burn, right? From the, the finale. Yeah, I would imagine. One of the things that's kind of nebulous about the movie, about the house of wax itself is like, how many floors is it? There's like a basement, but how deep does the basement go? Is it more than just one level? And then there's an upstairs. It looks like a tri-level, but it might be more than that. Cause when it starts melting and the floor is going away, it feels like there's more to it.
1: it looks like they fell 50 feet.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I love the way it melts down when they're standing right in the sign of.
1: Yeah. Dude, super impressive. Like that whole, that the, the the melt, the the meltdown of the house. It's great. Yeah. The last 10 minutes of the movie are super fun because yeah. of, of what starts to happen while we're in there, starting with the baseball bat to the head. Mm. It picks up the pace and, and the visuals. I mean, I mean, the melting wax, all yeah. of it is is super cool. But yeah, I was, I was confused with how big the house was and the basement, which we, we we were in and we've been all three levels. We were in the basement. We were on the the ground floor that, you know, wa- that went outside, you know, under, through the house of wax sign. And then we have an upstairs right. where the bedroom and the crib and all that stuff was. Right, I feel there must've been an attic above that.
0: Yeah. That's what I mean. I think there's, I think there might be four levels to it. There was one thing that happened in the movie and, and I didn't, I wasn't aware the movie was in Australia or I mean, I was aware it shot there, but when I saw the movie in the theater, I had forgotten about that. But when they're walking, when they do this look up the hill to the house, when the, the brother and sister come into town, it's obviously an homage to psycho by the way they look up the hill and everything. Yeah. And I thought that was super clever. Uh, I'm wrong. When they walk into the church Aren't those people really moving?
1: Uh, I don't, you know, I don't remember. I, I felt, I felt like,
0: <laughs> I felt like they weren't. That's a decent mind fuck because I maybe because when you, when they come back later on and you look at them, and you receive their wax. I'm like, wait, were they, now I'm not even sure. Were they moving? I felt, I, I think here's what I
1: think. And I would maybe go back and take a look at it, but maybe the other brother, maybe you just see one of them move and it's the other brother. You know, and I kept waiting for that gag too, like the other brother to be in a different wax person every time, you know, right? maybe there was, I'd have to go back and look at it. I'm going to ask you this. Who gives the best performance? Mm. It's really easy for me.
0: I know it's really easy for you. No, actually, I think I like John Abrams character, Abraham's character a lot. I, but he just he goes fast it and he's hardly in. The, they spent so much time focusing on. Robert Richard and and Paris Hilton making out in their in their lawn chair it just gets this is too much. I know what you're gonna say, but actually, I bet you don't know you don't know what I'm gonna say. I guarantee it. Mm, I don't know. I think I like Jared Padalecki a lot, but he's he's the first to go, man. He goes fast in this movie. You know, a year after Supernatural's around, he's 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 the final boy. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm going to go with
1: Betty Davis gives the best performance in this movie. She is pretty great in this, isn't she? Yes. And I'm shocked that she's not listed in the credits because usually, you know, they'll do that. It'll <laughs> especially if it's that prominent, right? You go into the movie, I mean, that to me that that was also a fun moment when they went into the movie theater and we see all and again like the church, I feel like maybe it's either the, the, you know, some of the reflection from the screen or something in the eyes of those. Cause I felt like somebody in the movie theater moved too. So maybe it's, uh, you know, there's some things to go back and check out, but you know, there, there's some, there's some really atmospheric moments that do work and you can see, you know, if you've seen Orphan, you can see his, you can see, definitely see his style, his flair in House of Wax, in in parts.
0: And in the theater scene, I agree 100%. The thing about Orphan is the premise is one thing, but that the involvement with the girl and, and the husband, that's, <laughs> I'm still surprised that a, an American movie company made that movie. I'm not surprised that it was a Spanish director, you know, that that's kind of a risk taker because look at his other movies and other, his other movies, even though they're, you know, Shau's a studio movie. It still doesn't feel like one. It looks like one, but it doesn't feel like one. It feels like it, t- it takes more risks and does more visually challenging moments than the other movies that you would normally see from maybe an American director. When you first get to the town and you see the movie theater showing whatever happened to Baby Jane, I was like going, it was, and I remember seeing it in the theater going, oh man, go in there. I want to see they show it. And I, and of course they do. But yeah, what a great moment that was too, where you're you get that moment where Alicia Cuthbert is pretending to be a <laughs> wax figure, and the audience watching it. It reminded me how good the eye work was the that you get with Padalecki when he's all waxed up. Yep. And then one other character too, where the eyes were moving. You know, they're not real eyes, but man. They look really good. They <laughs> look really good. But yeah, as a whole, man, I I, I don't, I think because I, I'm indifferent to the cast as far as like what happens to them and, and the villain is less than inspiring. Because you already dislike the kids or in the beginning, I they, that was their opportunity to really elevate the villain, you know, or, or villains in this case. They kind of don't go there. The other three movies do. The other three movies go for it. Even if they are uneven, they stick to it. But wouldn't you agree that all four movies that we've covered, the victims, if you will, you don't care about any of them. <laughs> and, and I think that was just the tone they were going for in the 90s. What would you, you know, into the early aughts? Yeah. I mean, I, I'd say, you know, you do care
1: more for Matthew Lillard than anybody in this movie in 13 Ghosts. And maybe right. Tay Diggs and uh, Ali Lager. Maybe you want them to get out of House on Haunted Hill, you know, so it's really mostly the last two where there's really nobody to root for. Although, you know, I got to see even in Ghost Ship, man, you kind of want Carl Irvin and, and Eldard to get out, right? I mean, I feel like they're in Ghost Ship. Like I said, I like the group dynamic on the salvage ship. I like all those people. So when they do start to get killed, it's a drag. Yeah. You know, and there's some interesting things going on in Haunted Hill, but like these, these kids, you know, they're just all obnoxious. And again, I don't believe that any of them ever spent any time with each other is my heart is the hardest right. thing for me to believe. They don't look like they're having any fun like, or they want to be on a trip together.
0: Right. Chad Michael Murray's characters is, is such a sour puss. I'm sorry, dude. If you are that sour of a person, why would you want to go hang out with your sister and her boyfriend? Unless you had a stepsister thing going on. <laughs> Possible. They had that weird moment, though, too, at the end when he puts his hand on her face and goes, I'm not going to leave you or whatever the fuck he said. Yeah, says. dude, I, I know. It was all like, what the fuck? That's how it is, huh? One of the most underrated scores of any like movie, especially a genre movie, is Eight-Legged Freaks. John Ottman is the composer for that movie, as well as a bunch of others. You know, he did H2O. I mean, he's done some really big movies. But more importantly, as far as in the Dark Castle realm, he did Gothica. And after this, later in the year, he did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. So his score, you, you, know, you just think about how much of how lethal weapon like the Kiss Kiss Bang Bang score can be at some times, but also times some far more subdued. He kind of in a lot of ways replaced Michael Kamen after he passed for, for Joel Silver. And it, his stuff is fucking great. He also did Orphan. If there was a great thing to come out of this movie is the score. And if if you're not familiar with it, check it out. It's streaming everywhere on all the Spotify and Apple Music and everything. But it's really good. Or pick it up on wax.
1: Pick it up on wax.
0: (laughs) Also, he did the nice
1: guys. So there. Pal.
0: So there you go. It's funny. This was the one I was looking forward to the most throughout the whole month. And unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to dive into the extras because my Blu-ray came too late because Shout Factory is was a little slow on the draw on getting it to me. And we are recording this so far in advance because of you heading out to go shoot a movie. So we're I mean, we're recording this a couple of weeks before this app episode's actually going to be out in the open. Yeah but that's, I have to say that the other three movies had the benefit of getting it or one of us or both of us getting a chance to dive into the extras and get a little more retrospect on, on the people involved. And yep. fortunately with this time around, we weren't able to do that. And maybe I'll get a chance to do that and we can do a little follow up on it, but maybe I'll be in a Patreon thing. We can do a little, a little bonus thing about talking yeah,
1: about it. I would have liked to live a little bit in those uh, behind the scenes stuff. Cause you know, these, that's the, one of the reasons we, chose these movies is because they all have some excellent BTS stuff yeah. on these uh, Blu-ray releases. But uh, yeah, man, mine still hasn't come. For some reason, I had a, a three pack
0: <laughs> that I picked up at Big Lots a long time. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that we talked about briefly, and I think we're, we're kind of dancing around the fact that we, that there was a, a third brother in there and right. we we didn't want to. F- he's the is first it... brother we meet. Yeah. He's the first brother we meet. He's the one that gives him a drive to town. Um, He's the one that's dumping up on the roadkill right into the, into In the, death into pit. the kill pit. So gross. <laughs> I, when she slides down like water
1: style, slide,
0: like Goonie stuff.
1: Oh, <laughs> right. I can't believe no one's for the rest of the movie. People didn't say, God damn, you smell. <laughs> right. Right. She didn't have anywhere to go
0: bathe or take a shower and get that stench off. Everybody's so gross. Anyway, the the movie ends with the we mentioned the ambulance shot at the end, and them driving off, and I'm like, right. And sitting on the tailgate of the truck that that got them to the town to begin with is the third Sinclair brother that we we discover later on. As we don't know him as a Sinclair brother, you're just hearing the 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 VO going on from the sheriff saying, "Oh no, we checked our hospital records. There's a third brother, and there he is waving." It is Damon Herriman, and I swear to you, we, <laughs> we got to the end almost to the end of this episode and realized, Holy, shit, is it the guy that plays Manson in, in Mindhunter Hunter once upon a time in Hollywood? Right? It's because when you, because you, the, the for the rest of the
1: movie, you don't really think about it until like you see him sitting on that truck with that petting that dog and he and he gives it that smile and that little wave, and it dude, then he looks dead on Charles Manson, right?
0: He looks exactly fucking like fucking he Manson! did. What's the like, exactly like he did at the end uh, or at the end of once upon a time in Hollywood. It's just like where he did, where I'm like, oh my gosh, because he's got that, he's got that, that hat on that trucker hat. He's so hillbillied up. You can't tell. And also let's be fair here. This is 14 years before he did either one of my hunter or, or once upon a time in Hollywood. Right. That, that that's transformation for you, man. I know it's a long time in between, but I, Even knowing the face and looking back on him sitting on the tailgate, like, wow, how did I miss that the entire movie? And that, he looks familiar. You just can't tell why.
1: Well, well, I mean, he's also maybe familiar to people because he he did play Dewey Crow on Justified for five seasons. Um, Yeah. But for me, now he's just Charles Manson. Like when I see him, like literally he's like, oh shit. I'm like, oh fuck, it's Manson again. It's Manson. Because he's fucking phenomenal, dude. Two different takes on Manson. Right.
0: Drastically different takes.
1: Yeah. And pitch perfect in both versions. So, oh, yeah. There you go. If you needed reason to watch this movie, well, he might just be it. Yeah.
0: I think so. And maybe, hey, maybe instead of having 10 minutes of showing money shots of the town, maybe show us some more Damon Harriman. Yeah, man. Give us some more of the old roadkill brother. I got a thing, man, maybe it's maybe that is why you don't see him very much, because if you show him too much, then, you know, he's part of a bigger.
1: Yeah, I I felt like, you know, because there were points where I was just like, where'd that guy go? You know, where's the where's the you know, I I just kept waiting for him to pop up. And honestly, at one point, when when the other brother shows up with the masks on the wax face on at the end, I was like, I was like, hey, wait a second. That guy seemed really short when he was around, you know, on the back of that truck yeah. <laughs> and i'm like oh because i had totally forgotten there was a third brother until the sheriff said it right exactly I'm Like, oh so it wasn't him yeah i
0: mean you know there's a little misdirection going on there it kind of works so if you want to follow the show on twitter it's at karate pod or if you want to follow us on letterboxd i'm at Corey underscore culp or if you want to follow the show on instagram it's at karate pod Or if you want to support the show on Patreon, thank you, Patreon supporters. That's patreon.com slash KITG podcast.
1: If you'd like to follow me, you could follow me at Carly Jones on (laughs) Letterboxd. That's Carly and Nick Jones. Nick Jonas? (laughs) Nick Jonas, no, Nick Jones, Carly's brother. Oh, sorry. No, actually, it was still Tom Cody at Letterboxd, that's all. That's all I've got, that's all I've got, Tom Cody. Oh,
0: I thought you were gonna tell me you're Bo or Vincent Sinclair. (sighs)
1: Hmm... <sighs>